Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Happy Father's Day to you, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Same to you, Mark, and obviously to all the fathers out there that are listening and have a, a wonderful day. Again, people can download this anytime, so the problem with the podcast is you don't know exactly when people listen That's to right. it. That's right. But it goes live at 10 o'clock Sunday, so hopefully people are enjoying their Father's Day, having yes. their eggs and sourdough or whatever they're having. Well, those wonderful morning. things we have on Father's Days and our kids looking after us, I'm hoping out there for that, you as well. That's right, and your Father's Day present is being a star in the latest old Dubbo Jail commercial. Oh, mate, thank you. Look, look uh, modesty has to say over here, I, that lovely word of a star, I wouldn't say I'm a star, but I am actually in the new one, yes, that's true. Um, during the week I managed to uh, be involved in uh, the new project that's happening out there at the Aldabo Jail. I'm actually a warden. A warden? A Does warden. that suit your personality style? Well, you know, there's a funny little thing, a little story in regards to it. I saw a shot of me in the warden outfit with the, the warden's hat on. Now, I must admit, my grey hair, I like to refer to as my George Clooney face, because yeah. it's sort of getting more of the grey on the side here. But the top starts still, yeah, sort of the top's got the black there still rolling through. So I've got this hat on, and there's this photo of me which sort of sort of takes the, the top part there is all out now with the hat, the black's gone, and all you see is the grey. Dead set look about 87. <laughs> it's not very flattering at all. <laughs> well, I didn't actually know you were involved in the old Abajal lads. So uh, it's a fun little thing to do. But you know what? It's a great project. Um, for those people who don't know, and oh, look, I don't want to steal the thunder too much, but <laughs> there is a, a whole new concept happening, happening down there at the jail where if you've ever been across the things like Alcatraz or uh, wandering through some of the, the wonderful places around the world, you quite often get the little headset piece that you put in. And so you'll walk across and you'll, you'll go to some place and we'll say number 23 and you, you press on your little headset there and there'll be a little narrative there that'll come through what's actually happened. Well, the LWR jail is actually going to go to the next step with that. You'll have that sort of an idea, but they're also bringing in the visual. So you'll go to some places and you'll go to maybe where the warden right now is what I did with uh, the young guy who sort of did the, the section there of the incoming prisoner. And instead of having someone doing a narrative of it, you've got a little video of me and this guy pretending to uh, go back in the time of the early 1950s, whatever it was, and there we were sort of going through the process of reenacting a, a scene in those moments. It was good fun. Sounds fantastic. And obviously just adds to that. And it actually goes further from a discussion that we had, you might remember we talked about a few weeks ago, the Honourable John Graham, MLC, who's the Minister for Jobs and Tourism, plus a range of other portfolios, mm. talked about the fact that he is focused on experiences, tourism being about the experience, mm. not necessarily about the destination. And for many years, we've heard about destination New South Wales or various destinations. But I think that's a really positive thing for mm. Dubbo because we do have great experiences. Yes. And that's another example. Once that's up and running, that'll be another experience. Going to the zoo and yeah. hand feeding yeah. a giraffe, that's an experience. Absolutely. So getting these type of things, even go to the Royal Flying Doctor Service Visitor Experience Centre, it's got the word experience yes, in the actual yeah, name of it. Right. So yeah, obviously yeah. that's an experience. The Wellington Cave, I mean, that's a real experience. You're getting mm. down in the caves. Mm. I think we're really well positioned for that and – as the minister hopefully continues on that focus around experiences, then I think our region will go really well. Oh, so totally anyway, agree. I look forward to seeing those little snippets there with you in it. And, Thank you, mate. Yes, and, yes, and I think we're, we're doing some ads as well where you'll be in them. I thought that was part of it as well. Oh, but I, I haven't heard that. You'd have to have a chat to my management team and see what we come up with. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Maybe so. Maybe it's just used for those internal parts. But I thought That's we might right. be using that for some ads as well. But yeah, check your contract on that. Absolutely. Yes, there might be something in the finer print. <laughs> That's right. They might have to triple your payment from zero yes. to uh, to cover uh, those. To uh, zero. Yeah. <laughs> Our last Sunday match, uh, we talked about the whole idea about the Dubbo Stampede. Well, of course, uh, both of I, comp- both you and I, competed in the Stampede. Uh, you did the twenty-one k. I did the. Uh, I won't say lazy five because it didn't feel like a lazy five to me going up those hills. But how'd you pull up? Uh, pretty good actually, yeah. and it's interesting. You use the word competed in. I tend to think of it as running in rather than competing in, but I like the energy you're bringing oh, yes, to it there. It's, it's never a competition until it is, let me tell you. <laughs> well, it's a competition, <laughs> but when you say competing, it sounds like you're running for glory. And obviously, well, I wasn't running for glory. You might have been running oh, for glory. But up. I'm always running for glory. You <laughs> see my pace. I'm averaging those six-minute Ks. <laughs> oh, no, you did well. You, you came ninth in your age category. You came 145th out of the 796 runners. Oh, really? In, yeah, in the 5.3K Dingo Dash. So, Dingo Dash. Yeah, that's pretty good. When you consider there's a whole bunch of people to different ages and different yeah, abilities. You know, you're in the top So what 18%. was my category for uh, over 50-year-olds who are far too overweight sort of thing? Was that my category? Or? <laughs> I, I think your category was the uh, good-looking jail wardens. Is that oh, the one? God love you. There you go. You will go far, you know. <laughs> so I think they're, they're broken into 10-year age categories, aren't they? So it must have been yeah, the 50, to, right. 50 yeah. to 59 uh, age category. I, yeah, said, nice. uh, I assume that was your age category. You're going to tell me it's the 20 to 29 age oh, category, yes, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so well done. And look, the half marathon, that was good. I mean, they had a fair few competitors, 197 mm-hmm. competitors in the half marathon, so that's not a, a bad roll up there. Yeah. And one thing that I'd I'd love to see, and probably a good reason to give it a bit of a plug, is that before COVID came along, they'd built up the stampede to have about three thousand people mm. competing in it, running in it, and that was fantastic and a really good event, and it just created a huge atmosphere. Mm. This year they were under fifteen hundred, mm. and that's getting back from a recovery after COVID. Yeah. Yep cost of living pressures have probably impacted a little bit. People mm. maybe aren't travelling as much. So there's a whole range of reasons. Mm. But it would be great to see it back up there around those old oh, numbers. Absolutely. Now, the atmosphere was still great yeah. on Sunday and there were lots of people out there having fun and enjoying themselves. And it was a beautiful day for it as it well. It was actually, Gorgeous yeah. It was really good weather. Yeah. So all of that was still great, but it would just be even better yes. getting back to those numbers from before. So I know the organisers do a great job and they're working on mm. achieving that if they can, mm. but... Next year, hopefully, we'll get those numbers back up Absolutely. a bit closer. For anyone to out there considering uh, going in the event, it is it's a lot of fun. You've it got really time, is. You've got time to train now. You've got a year well, that's to right, train. You've got four years, so no excuses. No excuses. And during the week, uh, you had a councillor workshop uh, for the Financial Sustainability Review. Now, there's one of the things here that uh, looks like it was discussed um, the potential for a special rate variation. Uh, rise, or I suppose in maybe in this case, what's the process uh, that you may be looking at in regards to putting in a special rate variation? Are we looking at a, a rate rise next year? Is this part of what we're talking about? Well, I can't give you an answer to that. I know that sounds like I'm dodging around whether we're going to put the rates up. Sounds very political of you, mate. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? But I don't have the authority to even make that decision. Mm. It would be a council decision, a mm. majority vote of council. So I couldn't say definitely yes or definitely no. Mm. It is a possibility, I suppose, is the first thing I'd say to people. And before people get scared and look at some of the other rate rises that have occurred in Mm. other councils around the state, and there have been some fairly extreme rate rises. I'm talking about some councils, 60%, Mm. 80% rate increases. I remember talking about a few of these. Tenerfield, Lithgow, a few places like that. Yeah, Armadale was another one. Yeah, Yeah. so there's some pretty extreme Mm. increases in the rates there. Mm. When you look at some of those rate increases, 
again, I can't say definitely what anything might be from Dubbo, but I don't think we will be looking at anything like those increases. Mm. What it really comes down to is a couple of things. We've engaged a consultancy group, AEC Group is the consultants that have been engaged, and their job is to look at a few things. First of all, are we running as efficiently as we possibly can? Because mm. we don't want to go and just say, oh, we're a bit tight on funds, let's put the rates up. Because again, are we spending money in ways that maybe isn't the best way to spend money? Mm. Are there other ways that could be more efficient? Mm. Now, one of the things that I find intriguing, and before I say any of this, I'm about to say this is not for any staff that are employed by Double Regional Council to suddenly get scared there's going to be great job losses. But I'm intrigued about the fact that when we had Double City Council, we had approximately 308 staff. Right. When we had one Shire Council, I wasn't involved in that, so I don't know exactly how many, but let's say there's 150 staff. Mm. You put the two together in an amalgamation. Mm. Why are you doing that? Well, some people still scratch their heads at the, the why around that, but presumably you're doing it to be more efficient. Mm. So one of the ways you think you'd be more efficient is you've got staff that are doing, let's say, payroll in mm. Dubbo and payroll in Wellington. Well, then you put the two staff together from that new organisation, maybe you don't need as many payroll staff to do the processing of the payroll. Mm. As an example, again, this is not targeting payroll staff. This is just saying as an example. As an example, that's right. So you put the two numbers of staff together, even if you kept all your staff, that's say 458 approximately. Well, we've got 500 full-time staff. Oh, okay. So the numbers have increased since the amalgamation. Yes. And we've also got some casuals and part-timers on top of those 500. You do say it's interesting because is there a reason for that? Because you would think normally when things get amalgamated, as you say, there would be, you know, jobs that would be in same places across, you know, one would be in Wellington, one would be in Dubbo, uh, same type of jobs. Normally you sort of think that out of those two, one would probably go. But this, you're sort of saying that's not necessarily the case here. Well, I don't know the answer, and I have talked about it internally a little bit, saying I'd love to see just the job positions we had, not down to the individual, but the numbers of people in individual jobs or Mm. types of jobs before and after the amalgamation. I'd be interested. It'd be intriguing. Mm. And so when we met with the consultants, and this is counsellors, it wasn't just me meeting with them. It was counsellors meeting with them in a workshop. One of the questions I asked was, I'd love to see that breakdown. I'd love to see some sort of analysis as to the number of staff we've got. Again, that's not the only thing you look at, but they are looking at expenses overall Mm. and they will look at the level of service. And so the first comment from the consultants when I asked that question about staff, for example, Mm. was their impression, and it's been seven years since the amalgamation, their impression is that there are more governance processes in place in councils across the state now. So you might end up with more staff in your governance area to make Mm. sure that governance is correct. And you see some areas where there's been possibly corruption, Mm. or I did read about the former mayor of Hurstville saying, I didn't think it was a problem taking those free plane tickets to China from a developer. I mean, what... what (laughs) Blind Freddy could tell you that, wouldn't they? Oh, you'd think so, wouldn't you? So, again, that's that's a really obvious example, but governance in general, there's probably more staff involved there. Mm. And the consultants did talk about some cost shifting. We keep talking about that. I was going to talk to you about that, about cost shifting. Is that part of the problem as well? Not so much a problem, but in the sense that is this this why maybe numbers have increased with the staffing because to cater for that as well? Quite possibly. And that's one of the the answers that, again, the consultants are saying, we'll look into that, but that's a possibility. Mm. But also the services, the level of services, the number of services, the expectation Mm. of services from the community is one. Mm. So what they'll do is they'll look at, all of our figures and just look at our overall financial sustainability. Okay. It's not about making sure we've got enough money in the bank tomorrow. We've got some reserves. So mm. we're going to be okay tomorrow. But we, as this group of councillors, we don't want to leave this council 
in a worse state mm. for the next group of councillors that come along than it is now. And so you're talking about what's it going to look like in five years' time, in ten years' time. You can lose, if you've got money in the bank, you can lose money this year. Mm. That's okay. Mm. And you can do it next year. But how many years can you do that for before you finally say, oh, we've got to the bottom of the barrel now. There's yeah. none left there. There's no reserves left. Oh, we can't keep losing money. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we're not in a position where we keep losing money. Yeah. We want to get to the stage where we're breaking even. Ultimately, that's the, what you're aiming for each year is to break even because mm. you don't want to have a, a big war chest building up. What's the point of that? But you don't want to be losing money no. either. So that's a couple of the things that they'll be looking at. These consultants. So all this needs to be done first before any decisions made in regards to a, a potential rate rise. Well, then the next part around <clears> that is really looking at what the community wants. And so right. that'll be part of the communication will be, okay, if, for example, we continue on with the rates the same as they are now and the level of services that we have, everything will stay the same or we'll have to cut back the level of services to maintain mm. our sustainability. Or, a bit like a menu, if you think you'd like to have some increased level of services and councillors are very specific saying, if we put anything on the table, we need to say what it is. Mm. So mm. if we want our... Parks and gardens mowed more regularly. I mean, getting down to that level of, yep. maybe not quite that level of detail, but that general concept, then you might need a 5% rate increase. Mm. Or if you want to be able to have more roads built, more dirt roads to an abitumen or more potholes filled or whatever it might be, then let's put a 10% rate increase on the table. What we want to do ultimately is give our residents the realistic picture, the snapshot of where we are now, and yep. when I say now, this will be happening in a couple months' time, yep. where we are now, and then what we need to do to continue forward, either at the same level or mm. increased levels or decreased levels of service and the dollars associated with mm. that. Now, again, you say to anyone, do you want to pay more in rates or less in rates? Yep. Everyone says, I'll take the lesser option, thanks. But when you make it a sensible question, in other words, would you like to pay rates the same as they are now or less? And here's what you'll cut back on if you do that mm. would you like to pay more but here's what you'll get in addition to mm. then it gives people the choice and that'll be the really important part of our overall community consultation about that now there's a very extensive process that i part makes us go through if we want to put a special rate variation because yeah, you couldn't probably just simply just go out there right now as a council and turn around and say um, all right uh, next year we're going to increase the race by 15 percent and thanks very much, that's what we're going to do. I'm assuming that there would be some type of governance process that you have to go through to be able to establish that. There is a thing called rate pegging. Rate yep. pegging has been around since, I reckon, around the Neville Rand time. As yeah, wow. So, it's going back a few years. Yeah. The cardigan yeah. man himself. <laughs> that's, that's the one. Yeah, you know him well. <laughs> and so the each year, councils across the state, 128 councils, mm. and IPART says this year you can put your rates up by 3% or 2% or whatever they choose mm. as the number that realistically gives councils enough money to continue delivering their services. If you ever want to go above that, you need to go through a process, which involves justification, involves looking at your expenses, involves mm. community consultation. You've got to show what you're going to spend that money on. Mm. In my memory, and I could be wrong on this, but in my memory, on all my time on council since 2004 when I was first elected, there's been one special rate variation that I've been involved with as a councillor, okay. and that was for our tiered theatre. Yep. And again, I'm happy for someone to look up the data on this, but I think from memory, we did a 2.5% rate increase over two years. So 2.5% this year, 2.5% next year. Mm. And we said to the community that is specifically for the tiered theatre, yep. which we've now got, obviously, 
and that money basically will be set aside for that, which is still so that's a mm. a compounding interest rate increase. So it was put up by two and a half percent for each of those two years, but mm. then obviously stays there. So you've got that forevermore. So that money still is kept in a separate area to make yeah. sure that money is going towards the tiered theatre all these years later. So you know we, we talked there earlier about say cost shifting, and we took that whole idea that uh, you know uh, state government is seems to be, from what I can gather, moving more costs across to local government. It, this must become uh, must must start to become a real problem for local council. Um, are you guys facing that down there right now? Is this becoming a, a bigger issue for you? Is this also part of the reason maybe why we need to look at uh, where our rates are currently sitting? I think when I first got on to council in 2004, there was a term that Tony Kelly, who's now passed away, of course, but he was the general manager at the time, and mm. almost the first bit of discussion and training we had with the new councillors was cost shifting. This state government oh, keeps back then, so it's been a term that's been around for a long while. It's been absolutely around for a long time, mm. and you see lots of subtle examples. Now, we had a discussion several months ago around the emergency services levy Mm. that went up by about $616,000. And the discussion we had at the time was that most people see the emergency services that are fantastic, doing a fantastic job out there. But when a new vehicle is rolled out, you see a state government minister there cutting a ribbon on that and saying, here you go, here's the the new rural fire service or the new vehicle or whatever it might be. Mm. Most people think, well, that's the state government paying for that because there's a state government minister there cutting the ribbon. Mm. They don't realise how much money is being contributed by local government, by Mm. their rates that are going towards that effectively. And that huge increase that we've just seen in this financial year that we're in now Mm. is a perfect example of a really obvious cost shift in a big chunk. But there are much more subtle Mm. cost shifts in some of the things that we're expected to do. And we see lots of those things and and probably health is one area where we end up doing little things in health that aren't part of the local government act and and again i'm not saying we're running a hospital but just some of the little help we might have to give to the health services some little subtle things we might need to do to help i think of things like macquarie homestay council was certainly involved in the very beginning of that trying to help get that up off the ground it was an important service for Dubbo and the region realistically, it would have been nice that the state government said, this is really important, it complements our hospital system, we should go and build the facility and run it. But no, Mm. it took a very committed group of local people, it took some volunteering efforts to run various events to raise money for it, but it took council, I remember being involved in the land, and that was part of some uh, land that was under a a trust Mm. at the time, and and so just negotiating with state government and doing that. And when I say cost shifting, it can just be about staff time to do a lot of these things, Not so much about here, state government used to pay a dollar for that, now local government pays a dollar mm. for it. It can be just about the staff time involved mm. in things. You're because now expected to manage this or run this sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly right, okay. yeah. And, and just some of those services, some of the, the multicultural services that you yeah. might have on offer and different councils do it in different ways. Which could well explain the reason why we've increased our numbers. Well, and that, that could be part of the, yeah. exactly, could be part of it. And that'll be a part of the analysis I hope to see there. Yeah. And I'll be interested to see how that comes out. And just that, that breakdown of those staff numbers before and after as well yeah. will be interesting. So we're going through that process. We'll keep the community updated in terms of what we see there. At this stage, all we've done is a workshop yep. where we just talked about a few things, but they'll go and bury themselves down deep in our figures and our numbers mm. and really give us a good snapshot and again, it's not my council, it's mm. your council, it's the community's council, it's the community itself that owns all of this infrastructure, $3 billion worth of infrastructure, mm. so mm. let's make sure the community knows what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Now we've mentioned uh, 
this bridge a few times on the podcast, the Benelong Bridge. Now, the Benelong Bridge, uh, it, it's been under some repair work happening there and there had to be a, a load limit that was placed on it for safety reasons. Um, just to quickly update our listeners here, Matt, uh, has this now been lifted? Is that what I'm reading here? Absolutely, and lifted ahead of schedule, which is very oh, exciting that's good. news. Okay. Yeah. Why is that? Is it uh, the beautiful, easy, lovely weather we've had right now? The sort of hasn't held anything up by rain and stuff like that? Is that it or just sound, very efficient workers? It might sound too simplistic, but the weather does play a big part in some of these things. I so imagine road worker would, absolutely, yeah. Any road works, any bridge works, just in general, you can imagine it's not that safe always to be working in poor weather. Mm. When you've got good, clear weather, you can get vehicles down in areas that might be boggy in other times or you might just not be able to get to those places when it's mm. raining. So, yeah, good weather does play a bit of a part in yeah. a lot of the works that we do. Yep. But I think things just went according to schedule. They didn't have any major hiccups. Normally when you put a time frame out, you'll work at how you think something's going to take. You might add a little bit of time in for some weather delays mm. and also add a little bit of time to see some other things that pop up a bit unexpected. Mm. And when they don't pop up and when you don't have bad weather, you might get things done a bit ahead of schedule. So yeah. I know the team that were working on this were very keen to get it done as quick as possible, making sure it was all safe, of yep, course, yep. because it did create some issues for some of the farmers around that well, area. We've got harvest coming up. Uh, I've noticed all the, the crops are looking fantastic right now, but they'll, of course, go off into that yellow sort of colouring soon, and then it'll be harvest time. And uh, if you don't have the load limits, it makes it pretty hard for those trucks to get through. Well, that was stressed by some of the farmers that I spoke to mm. around the area there, just the extra kilometres they would have to travel to get around that bridge. Mm. And we did even talk about one farmer who liked to walk some of his cattle across that oh, area that. Yes, and yes. couldn't have his normal cattle walking across mm. there because they would actually go over that 15-tonne load limit. So yeah, yeah. this is the bridge that will be replaced. So just for reference there, when you go out the Obley Road past the zoo, yep. when you turn off the Obley Road, go down Benelong Road, it's about 7.9 kilometres along that Obley Road there. It's a pretty old bridge. I ride my bike across it sometimes, yep. not yeah. so much in the last few months during winter, but in summer. That little I, dangerous I, little section there you used to ride across. Remember now you tell yeah, me about this? Yes. Yeah, well, well, I walk across it these days, so getting a bit old and safe and cautious, <laughs> so I, I walk across it. But we've already talked about that bridge will be replaced. Mm. We've done the land acquisitions, the compulsory land acquisitions we needed to, to, to change the route of that bridge ever so slightly, just the, to change the, the, or the way the road comes down to it, make it a bit safer. So that's all happening. Yep. But again... When we we're staying those investigations, that's when we found a bit mm. of danger in terms of the old, that old timber bridge there. So that's been done. I think the feedback from the farmers around that area was was heard loud and clear. Yep. And we got in and, and we've done that. There is still a 20 kilometre per hour speed limit on there, yep. which again is well, not the end of the world. safety sort of thing for people. It is. And the, it's a bit tight as you come down and turn across that bridge there. It's a little bit tight. You can mm. do more than 20 k's an hour. But again, that's just a sensible thing. But no one's complaining about that. They're no. just happy the fact that it's back to normal. the normal load limit. So that's fantastic and well done to the bridge team that did that and our, our staff certainly that were involved in that. Oh, well done. It's interesting one, Matt. Uh, Christmas. Christmas time. Oh, yeah. Boy, it's coming around very quickly. So here we are, uh, first day of spring or second, third or fourth day of spring, wherever time you're listening to this podcast. It's early on in spring anyway. And of course, we're now starting to talk about Christmas. It tends to be the case. I'm looking here at the fact that there's a, a new initiative here that Council wants to, uh, to begin um, in regards to getting some sponsorship, creating some partnerships uh, to help liven up the uh, the festivities and the, the beautiful displays around our CBD around Christmas time. So talk me through this one, Matt. What's what's happening here? What sort of sponsorship are we looking for? Well, it's interesting because Councillor Shibley Showdery was very keen to improve 
the Christmas spirit. Good on him. Around Dubbo, around Christmas, and do do that with some decorations, etc. Mm. So the problem Shibley had when he brought it to council and said, I really want to liven up the Christmas spirit, I want mm. to have better decorations, etc., was it cost money. Yep. And we just simply didn't have the budget and we would had to have taken some money from some other program, something mm-hmm. else somewhere. And so we talked about that and we said, well, maybe there are some organisations out there that would be keen to partner with yeah. council in the whole Christmas spirit. Great so idea. basically we've got EIs, Expressions of Interest, mm. out now and they close on Sunday the 10th of September. Okay. And yeah. basically what we're asking for is either one or multiple organisations to partner with us. Mm. We want $25,000 for a deal for Dubbo. That's a two-year deal for Dubbo. Yeah. And Wellington, we want $20,000, again, two-year deal there. And the idea of this is to basically spend money, that money, on additional decoration. Mm. So we've got the nine-metre Christmas tree down in Dubbo, seven-metre Christmas tree in Wellington, and we'll have some social media tagging for that business. We'll get some information out, TV, print advertising. So you'll get some exposure for your money, definitely, but also you'll get to feel the fact that you've been a part of enlivening the Christmas spirit. it's a great way of giving back at a beautiful time of the year. Absolutely. So we've got different options there. Again, so $45,000 we need basically to cover Mm. both communities. That could be one business, could be two We'd even be happy to see an AI that came in where there might be a couple of businesses get together and say, well, we can't pay the 25 grand individually, but would you accept it from a couple of businesses? Mm, mm. Once it gets more than two, it probably loses the advertising value for those mm. businesses. When it gets to the stage where you've got lots of businesses supporting yeah. it, you're probably not going to get value for money. Yeah. But again, this is an AI process. Mm. So there's no hard and fast rules. If someone's got something a bit different they want to do, if something's got a different suggestion. So is there a form they need to fill out or is there a way that they can uh, access the uh, expression of interest? Yeah, absolutely. Basically everything we've got, and we'll talk about this a bit more later on in the program, mm. in the podcast, but the Your Say page, if you go to oh, the yes, Your Say yeah. page, you can go there and, and look at how to do that. So those EIs are open now. Sunday, 10th September, put that in. I'm really hopeful, if for no other reason than on behalf of Councillor Showdery, that we want to make sure that we get this to happen and, again, use some businesses, some of the great businesses we've got in our community, use those to help do that. And when you go down the the main street there at Christmas time and you see the lights up and... uh the lanterns across and the Christmas tree. It, it is such a special time of the year. And so I think it's a wonderful thing to, to link your business to it as well because people are feeling happy and joyous. So link your business to it, guys. That'd be fantastic. Staff Excellence Awards. This is a good initiative here, Matt. This, um, it appears as though during the week that uh, the here in council, at the Dubbo Regional Council, that uh, some awards were given out to members of staff who have excelled in their areas um, and uh, have been acknowledged. So what's what's happened here? Is this a new initiative? I haven't heard of this before. It's traditional. Last year it was the inaugural <laughs> and this year it's traditional. Well, two years makes a tradition, doesn't That's it? Right. That's right. <laughs> One year's an initiative first up and two years a tradition. Well That's done. Right. I stole that from CSU. CSU being a, a relatively young university. I remember years ago I did something yeah. there and they called it an event traditional. And I went, oh, wow. I, I didn't realise that. How long has that been going? They said two years. So. <laughs> it's now tradition. It's That's official. Right. <laughs> One of the things that certainly was identified by Murray Wood, the CEO, when he took over the position of CEO, was, and this is, we're talking back around July 2021, yep. there seemed to be a 
bit of an issue just with general staff morale. It okay. just seemed to be a bit down. And Murray had worked at council. I remember being on council before and Murray was a director at council, mm. um, parks and land care director at, and, and various other manager positions that he had. So I did deal with Murray during the time when I was on council previously with Dubbo City Council. So he was on council, understood what a high-performing council looked like. Mm. He went away and worked in the state government for a few years. And then when he came back as CEO, he certainly picked up, there were just wasn't the same commitment. There wasn't the same level of enjoyment from the staff across the board. So okay. that was part of his job as CEO to make sure th- that he, on behalf of the community, got the staff yeah. back up to be high-performing, yep. very happy, high morale. One of the things identified in that process was mm. some recognition. Mm. In any organisation, it doesn't matter whether it's a sporting team or a community club or just a council, mm. you just like to be able to say to people, gee, Mark, you've not only done your job this year, mm. you've done it really well. You've done it above and beyond. Mm. To the point where we want to acknowledge it for you. Correct, yeah. that's yeah. right. So the award process was started. So last year, ran an awards program, and it was its first year, and so there were awards given out for different categories, Staff had to nominate. There was nomination forms okay. on the process. Yep. Nominate someone from your area, put some details in, yep. and then we had the winners that basically were read out in terms of what they did, and that seemed to be very well received. There was also some feedback that Murray put out across the staff mm. to say, we had our inaugural awards, how can we get it better? Mm. And so they had a few suggestions, which Murray, I'm sure there were lots of suggestions, Murray took up a few of those suggestions for this year. One of them was, we do typically in the past, we've done a long service awards ceremony right. where people on their 5, 10, 15, et cetera, years, and I think it starts at 10 years after 10 years, mm. well done, here's a certificate to recognise your 10 years of service, 15, 20, 25, 30, et cetera. Yeah. We also encourage, and I'll talk a bit more about this in a moment, staff training to do some extra training mm. above and beyond their requirements. And so again, if you go and do some of that, then you get that recognition as well. Mm. That was typically held in front of the people receiving mm. the staff training and long service awards. So yep. there might have been 30 people in a room. I remember handing out certificates and congratulating people. Mm. But the feedback was, well, those people have contributed to council as well. So mm. maybe when you've got most of the staff together in the tier theatre, maybe that's a good time to also recognise the people that have been there for a long period of time yep. and people that have done some training. Good chance for community building as well. Oh, yep. absolutely. So that was changed this year. Mm. And then the other couple of changes, we had on screen the people that were nominated. Right. So the various people across the board that were nominated for various awards. Yep. And I'm not always convinced that having someone that's nominated for an award is a good idea because there wasn't a criteria, there, hasn't, there wasn't a, a minimum standard they had to reach mm to be able to go through that process. So with something like the Rhino Awards with the Dubbo Business Chamber, they typically have a process where they'll announce the finalists, mm. but not everyone that's nominated. Yep. But I know talking to some of the staff afterwards, they still thought it was quite nice that their name was their up name on was screen up on board, yeah. as someone who was nominated. So yep. I'm I'm not sure about that one at the moment. I'm, I'm going to think about that one a bit more mm. before I give my feedback to Murray on that one. Mm. But they certainly had this year a runners-up award. Okay. So yep. great, you did some fantastic work. There was someone who did just a fraction better than you, but well done anyway. Yep. So you got a nice certificate, and then we had the winner of each of those awards who received a trophy. But then, again, it was the 10, 15, 20, 25, mm. et cetera, and the, the training awards. Now, the training I want to talk about a little bit. One of the attitudes from less progressive employers is, well, you know what? I'm not going to train my staff because if I train my staff, spend any money on training, any give them any time off, whatever, I'll train them up, they'll be 
great employees and then they'll get poached by someone else. So I've spent mm. my money on training them up. And I know personally in, in my business and certainly in, in my approach to things is I worry about the opposite. Yeah. What about if I don't train them yeah. and they stay? Yes. Then I've got Absolutely. people That's right. who are not moving forward, who are not yes. progressive, who are not innovative, who are not trying to better themselves. Mm. And I know Murray's with the same attitude that he really encourages staff mm. to go and add a master's degree, get their yep. first degree, add a diploma, go and do some training. And surely that must increase staff morale as well. Surely it does that. Surely it gives you better qualified staff, mm. better skilled staff, more progressive staff, more Absolutely. innovative staff. Yep. Surely it's a nicer place to work. Yes. And it's actually quite nice when you see someone up on stage receiving acknowledgement that they've just mm. gone and got a diploma or whatever it might be, and the applause across the crowd for those people, it, there was genuine excitement. Oh, that's good. Genuine acknowledgement that this person's been doing work at home, and I'm sure their colleagues say, hey, you want to go to the pub on Friday mm. night after work? Oh, no, I've got that next little assignment or mm. assessment that I've got to finish off and I've got to get that done and that's due next week. And so I'm sure there's been those sacrifices they've made yes. over the time they're doing it. So I think it's a really positive experience. But just in general, mm. you get a feel for things and talking to people before and after that ceremony, yeah. the feel, the general approach from people was very positive. And certainly there is no doubt about it, the morale in the room was very high. I had a chance to talk to them as well yeah. and say, well done to all those people. And again, one of the things that was important for me in the world, counsellors there who had joined me for that as well to acknowledge those people was I made the point that <laughs> as counsellors we sit around a council meeting and we make decisions but then someone's got to do it yeah it's all well and good for us to say right let's go and do a b and c I want you to run through that brick wall for me yeah, yeah. and then we've got to have people out there doing things and yeah. sometimes the staff may not agree with the decisions mm. of council mm. but they go out there and do it regardless do it to the best of their ability so I, I did thank them on behalf of counsellors oh, because, again, that is an important part of that. But the other thing is that sometimes as a council employee, it might be a bit tough. You turn up to a party, you go to a, a friend's 40th birthday, whatever it might be. Oh, you work for council. Oh, the other day, I ran over this pothole and I mm. got a puncture. Mm. And people, probably two things. One, well, I work in a different division of council yep. altogether, so I don't really know about that part. But also, I just want to sit here and enjoy this birthday party or, mm. or the That's right. celebration. Yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. You, you probably, it's hard for council employees, it's near impossible for council laws, but hard mm. for council employees to switch off. So I did say that as well, that we get things absolutely right, brilliantly right, 99.9% mm. .9 of the time. People turn their taps on and water comes out, they flush the toilet, it goes away. All these things we take for granted. They yes. drive on roads yes. and most of the roads we drive on are pretty good. So there's all these things we do, I think, that are fantastic, but... The community, the public is very quick to jump on any one little thing that doesn't go perfectly. So I did say, again, on behalf of the community, thank you to all the staff yeah. there for doing all that wonderful work and getting it right just about all the time. Yeah. And sure, things happen, people are humans and we're not perfect, but we get a lot more right than we get wrong. Absolutely. So your general feel is, Matt, the fact that uh, morale is, uh, is pretty good down there right now? Is that your sort of take on it? It's certainly improving. And I yeah. still think it takes three years in any organisation to increase morale, to increase the spirit in an organisation, it takes five seconds to blow it apart. Yes. So if yes. you if your intention is to destroy morale in an organisation, yes, you can do that very quickly. But mm. if you're going to improve it, uh, and again, that three years, I suppose I've seen that in different businesses over the years, that that's not a hard, fast rule, but it does take some time. Mm. So I think there was some low staff morale 
I mean, obviously, some of the issues that occurred with councillors during the last council, with mm. councillors resigning and, and various mm. things that happened, probably didn't help morale yep. a lot. Yep. Uh, and again, you've got a great group of councillors now, and I think people have got more confidence in them now. We've got a great CEO in place. So yep. it's improving, but it's probably another year away from it being back to the level that I'd love it mm. to be. And people also, it's a bit like trust, if you like. Mm. You can destroy someone's trust in a heartbeat. You yep. can do one thing yes. that will destroy someone's trust. How long does it take for you to build that trust back up? Absolutely. And that's probably a bit of what it's Stability about Stability and positivity in that space can always help, can't it? Yeah, yeah, that's mm. exactly right. So we'll keep working away as councillors trying to improve that morale. I know Murray's going through a great process, great team of directors there. And so I, I think it's happening, but it just takes time. Sure. Well, the weather is, uh, weather is definitely warming up out there. I think uh, on Monday they're expecting 28 here in town, so it's going to get nice and warm. So it's a timely uh, situation because our pool is now officially opened. As of Saturday, the 2nd of September, the How pool good is, that? is open again. Hey. Now, this is under Belgravia Leisure. Our new owners, or new managers, should I say. Managers, Not so much correct. owners, but managers. No, no, the community still owns the three That's pools, right. but new managers. Yes. So they're open, they're running. I mean, it's been one day so far. Again, this is going out on Sunday morning. Yep. So in that one day, everything seems to be okay. People mm, are in there. Yes. Uh, we have got a minor issue with the Dubbo pool. There's a leak in one of the tanks. We've been working on fixing that. Okay. And so the pool temperature probably isn't up to the normal 27 degrees yet. It might only be 25. 27 degrees? That's what it said. Yeah. yeah oh, wow, I didn't realise that. Yeah, that's the temperature it says. Okay. Out. Well, that's just like a bath. <laughs> 27. <laughs> yeah, take your shampoo and your soap. <laughs> <down>. <laughs> Uh, but look, again, this is one of those things that we're trying something new and different and we'll get some feedback from the community and I yep. think it'll work well. But again, yeah. the community, let us know if it doesn't. Absolutely. Now speaking, which is, is there an advisory group that uh, Belgravia has in regards to, so members of the community can come in and actually offer suggestions to this new management team? So we've got the Aquatic Centre Working Party. Right. And that's something that is a working party of council that has councillors, council staff and community members on that. And that's right. something we've had for a long time in terms of a, a group that does that. But then Belgravia Leisure, one of the standard things that they do as well is they create their own community advisory group. Now, they haven't set that up yet, right. but in a couple months' time, they'll go and set that up because, again, their standard practice, mm. because they do have multiple pools across both Australia and New Zealand mm. that they manage, then they've got a fairly good process in place mm. One of the things that they think is really important, and I absolutely agree with them, is to have some type of advisory group. So mm. if you're really interested in yeah. a couple of months' time... So this is open to anybody to put their hand up for this? Or? Look, I assume so. I assume you'd, okay. you'd want to have some involvement with the pool on a regular basis mm. to make it worthwhile. Yeah. I, I think that they'll probably run bi-monthly meetings. They'll okay. have some discussions around that. That doesn't mean we'll get rid of our Aquatic Leisure Centre working party, mm. but it'll just be a different thing, their different focus from their perspective. So so our working party, do they sort of review how Belgravia is going as an operation? Is that part of what they do? Yes and no. It's it's really designed to make sure we've got feedback coming from the community. Mm. The formal review process will be done by council, ultimately, mm. but that working party certainly will do that. But Belgravia also sits on that working party. But that working party might look at other things. So, for example, if we want an indoor heated pool, which many people in the community do talk about, mm. then that would be something the working party would look at as okay. a potential project and maybe we try and get some other plans done, some costings or some strategies for financing that and that might come back to council. But Belgravia mm. wouldn't be involved in that. Their job is to manage the three pools. Mm. They're not going to go and say, right, let's go and find funding for a $30 million indoor heated pool 
their job is to make sure mm. they run those three pools. So slightly different focus from those two. Yep. But keep an eye out for that. They'll advertise that, I'm sure. They'll talk to people in the community about that. And again, it's one of the things that they think works well, so they'll go forth and do that. But I'd imagine too with this, uh, with the new group running it, um, there's, there's always a fair bit of emotion surrounding um, these decisions when it comes to public operations and, and who's running the, the, the new setup there. So what's, um, is there a fair bit more scrutiny do you think is going to be applied to this group coming in? Um, as a as a community, do you think we as a community are going to scrutinise this group pretty closely? Yeah, I think there'll be some people in the community who will be potentially keen to see them fail. Mm. There'll be some people in the community who will want to look at everything they do and compare it to how it was done before. And I'm sure they're experienced enough across the board with other pools that they manage that they expect that and yep. they've got a process and they'll go and is run the re- pool. Is there a review that will be done in regards to this group, uh, 12 months down the track sort of thing? What happens with the with that sort of process? Well, it's, it's a contract, and that contract is a five-year contract with okay. a, a one-year extension that's just going off memory from a previous podcast that we've done. Yep. And so it would have to be something that would be fairly extreme for council to say, sorry, we're going to terminate the contract. Mm. If they go along and they meet the criteria in the contract, we will certainly go through and continue to discuss that with them. Mm. There's no doubt about that. But it's not as if we've got in 12 months a stop-go review that says, okay, we'll have a look at it and you guys are going fantastically or terribly. Mm. It's all over. If they breach a part of the contract, certainly that's a different scenario altogether. But it's not as if we're going to pull the rug out from under them in 12 months' Mm. time, assuming they meet all the minimum criteria. Mm. If suddenly they're not open five days a week in the middle of summer, then that'd be something we'd say, hold on, here's your contract. You've got to stay open in these particular times. Here's your opening date. Here's your closing date. Unless something extreme happens, i.e. there's a massive leak in the pool and you can't get the Mm. pool filled and we as council have got to come along and spend two weeks repairing that, that would be different. But no, if you just suddenly decide not to open for a few weeks because you decide not to open, well, no, that's a breach of your contract. So again, it's a constant review process, but it's not a review process looking to cancel the contract unless it's extreme circumstance. Well, the weather's warming up, so go and try out the pool. Now, we talked about this uh, earlier in the podcast about the Your Safe platform. Now, this is an opera. Well, is this a, an online for this? Uh, you're more of a technical man than me. The Your Safe platform, this is where we as uh, people of the community can go and have our say on certain things that are happening within council, and there's certain things that come up. Uh, is this a link that's set up on our council website or is it an app that we have to go and, and download? How does it all work? Just a web page. If you go and Google Your Say and right. Dubbo, then you'll go to it. Sure, there is a link on our web page, but some of the feedback we've had over the years has been that when you go to council's web page, mm. there's a lot of stuff on there. Mm, I can imagine it would be, yes. And council does a lot of stuff. So if you're looking in particular to give some feedback to council around community consultation or looking for some dates for Mm. things that are happening, then it may be difficult to find that given the fact there is so much other stuff on our council website. So Your Say was created specifically for feedback. And so at the moment, for example, you can go to Your Say, there's consultation on the tree preservation order. We've talked about that before. That closed at 5pm on the 8th of September, on Friday the 8th of September. So that's on there. Then if you wanted to give feedback about the Blue Ridge Business Park haulage strategy, now that's Part of what we've talked about before was Sheraton Road, yep, up in the schools the, there. The upgrade up there, yes. Yep, so that consultation is currently underway. So that's on there. If you wanted to find out information about the shared pathway, we've talked about the sod turning down there on the shared pathway. Mm. And you know, I wonder when that's going to be open again. I wonder what's happening with that particular one. That information's there. When you look at the bulky rubbish pickup 
then information right. about when that happens around your area. Even the financial sustainability review we talked about before, hmm. information about that's on there. So, so this is all on the Your Say page? Anything that's got community consultation or is directly related to community information, so hmm. consultation and information probably with the safest way to say hmm. what Your Say is all about, all on the one site. But it's interesting too, one of the things that we're always trying to do in any level of government, and certainly I do focus on this a bit in our local government, you want to break down the silos. Mm. If you've got a situation where one part of council is doing one thing, another part of council is doing another thing, and they're not really talking across those mm. different silos, then you lose opportunities. And I'll give you two really simple examples. Yeah. One, it was probably a year ago, we were doing something where we needed a PA, a small PA system. And so we hired a small PA system. And I asked about the cost of the hire of that and who we hired it from. Mm. And I said, surely across council... We should own mm. that little PA system. It's not that expensive. Mm. But if we're paying to hire it all the time, and the person in the department I spoke to said, oh, no, we only hire it twice a year. So, well, that's fine. That's this department. Yeah. But what about yeah, the other departments? Other departments. Yeah, yeah. And so you break down those silos, and then you look at that and you say, well, actually, each department, or not each department, but, mm. but across all the departments, it might be hired 20 times a year. Yeah. So we just paid for that PA system three times throughout the year, yeah. break down those silos, break down those barriers, and then yeah. it made sense for council to go and purchase their own PA system. And then for all those departments, here it is, we know it's there. If you want to, each department can pay a very small amount mm. to the central department that owns it so it can be replaced or repaired in years to come. Yep. So that's a simple example. The other one that I noticed when I went to the USA, when I was looking at it just to see how it all looked, is it struck me that the closing times and days of the week for various consultations were all over the place. Right. So some were 5 so p.m. Like on a Friday, 5 p.m. sort of thing for everyone? It's no, different. no. There were a couple that were 5 p.m. Friday. Okay. But then I noticed a 4 p.m. Friday. Oh. I noticed a 9 a.m. Friday. Right. I noticed a 9 a.m. Monday. I noticed a Sunday. Okay. And I thought from each individual organisation or department within council that's putting something out for public consultation, yep. there are typically minimum time frames. So there's the, no protocol, so to speak. Well, there's no definite ending. There, mm. there is, according to the Local Government Act, we've got certain minimum time frames. We've got to put things out on public consultation. Right. 21 days, 28 days, various time frames. And we as a council typically go longer than the minimum because we want to give the community a chance to have definite feedback. Right. But when I looked at it, I said, well, it would make it easier for the public if they knew that whatever consultation it was, mm. the closing time of that was always a Friday at 5 yep. p.m. or a Monday at 10 a.m. or whatever it might be. Mm. Let's make that consistent. So that was one thing that stuck out to me, okay. which I've already brought up with the CEO and we'll work at getting that again across all the departments. Why don't we have a standard time? Mm. That makes it easier mm. for the public so that if something's coming up, oh, I've got to get some feedback in about that tree preservation order. Mm. And they're sitting around having a coffee one morning and someone says, when does that close? Someone might say, oh, I read something that said 4pm Friday. No, it's 10am Monday. No, no. Mm. Have it as Rather a consistent. Rather saying, oh, it's always 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. That's yeah. right. I know it's coming up at the end of this week yeah. and because they always close at 5pm Friday, yeah. we better make sure we get it in by 5pm Friday. So yeah. they're the sort of things you can pick up on if you're trying to do things and share information mm. rather than just keeping a little focus on your little bit of the world. What do you call it? Breaking down the silos. That's what I call it anyway. Yeah, I'm I've not never sure. heard that phrasing before. Yeah, right. There well, you, you, can, you can understand the concept though. There would be lots of silos within a council. You're all working there side by side, but yes. you've got your own little individual areas that you're okay. focused on. Yep, that's yeah. a nice analogy. Yeah.
Ah, see, the fact that we've talked again many times about our citizenship ceremonies and the fact that we're actually having quite a few more of these, uh, well, right now, and because there's one coming up on Tuesday, the 5th of September, a new citizenship ceremony. They seem to be happening so regularly now. We seem to be talking about it every second week, it feels like right yeah, now. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But we are we have brought it back to about every second month. Yeah, right. And we did have one recently with two of them one month because we had one in Wellington, one in Dubbo. Yep. But the next one, 5th of September, and this is one we're trying a bit different. We're trying an afternoon ceremony. Okay. We typically have them as morning ceremonies. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. kids sometimes have got to get out of school, which maybe they're okay with. Maybe they're okay to miss a day of school. Yep. But we thought, let's just try something a bit different. Is there a reason why you want to go to the afternoon? Well, again, try and do things better. Okay. Is okay. it is it better when we have something in the afternoon? Does that mean then, rather than people get some time off work or maybe off school in the morning, mm. have their citizenship and then go back to work or school? If we had it in the afternoon, mm. three, maybe four o'clock, you come along, you go to the citizenship ceremony, and then you might have just gotten away from work early or gotten out of school early, yeah. and then you can finish that ceremony and maybe then go and celebrate. Yeah, celebration. Sort of thing. Yeah, so okay. just try it, and we'll just get some feedback from yeah. people. You don't want to just keep doing the same old thing the same no, old way. Why it. do we do it in the morning? Because we did the last one in the morning. Mm. Well, that's not good enough. Mm. Why do we do it in the morning? Because that's what feedback from our community said would be best, or mm. in the afternoon, or in the evening even. Yeah. Now, of course, we go the evening, we've got to pay our staff overtime to do it. So maybe the argument against evening has some mm. logic because it would be more expensive for us. So mm. in the afternoon or in the morning, mm. let's try that. So we'll try this one. But right. I still encourage anyone, everyone is welcome to come along to a citizenship ceremony. So this one's going to be held... Uh, At the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention okay, Centre, yep. typically in our flat floor section yes. rather than in the tier theatre. Yep. And you'll typically have the people, and I don't know how many will be in this particular one, but mm. let's say there's often we're getting 30 or maybe even 40, but let's mm. say there's 30 people there, you'll have 30 new citizens, they'll all bring along mm. a friend or sometimes a family member. There'll mm. always be someone else there with each of those people. So there's mm. at least 60 people there. Mm. And then you'll typically have a number of councillors go along, when they can make it, our state member, Dougal Taunders, comes along or our federal member, Mark Colton, comes along. So you'll often get those. You'll get someone from the police. Yep. So you'll get a reasonable group of people. But from the public perspective, it's very hard to find a more uplifting experience mm. than seeing what's happening in the room, the excitement level, yep. just how excited people are to mm. be part of our country. And it makes you feel good about Australia. It makes oh, you feel absolutely. good about we're already here. Yeah, yeah. And look at what these people have gone through yeah. to become – an Aussie citizen. Mm. Wow, it must mm. be pretty special. So it makes you feel good about yeah, yeah, everything. Absolutely. So I, I encourage people to come along. Well, a quick little story for you. I was uh, doing the park run there this morning, or Saturday, on Saturday morning, and uh, doing that. And I was running along and came across uh, this lovely lady by the name of Mary Ann. And uh, she started speaking. And I'm going, oh, is that a South African accent? And she goes, uh, no, New Zealand. <laughs> That's a very poor New Zealand accent, but anyway, New Zealand. <laughs> and I said, all oh, right, so how long have you been out here for? And she said, oh, since 2018. I said, oh, okay, so what you've you came to Dubbo from New Zealand? She said, yeah, I came from Waikato. I said, oh, right. So you, you went from the, the beautiful lush green of Waikato into the drought of uh, Dubbo in 2018. She goes, oh, yeah, it was an experience. But we love it here. We're staying, and uh, we've now become citizens of Australia as well. So there yeah, you right. go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you do. You, you get people from all over the world, and we do see, I've talked about it before, we used to see in the past, say, a decade ago, mainly people from England mm. and then some New Zealanders and some – US, some, some Americans, some yep. Canadians, and every now and again you'd see someone from maybe India. 
Now you see people from India, Bangladesh, Nepal, Pakistan, yeah. a whole range of areas there. And occasionally you'll see someone from England. Yes, so it's yes. certainly changed quite dramatically. Yep. So. And aren't they just the most respectful people? I, I, God, I, I love all the people coming from the sub, that subcontinent area. You know, the, the, the kids that come through the education system are just magnificent kids. Yeah, good. Incredible level of respect as well. So, yeah, they're, they're wonderful people to have coming into our community. So 3 o'clock. Tuesday, 5th of September, if you've got an hour to spare, come down and you'll be part of that. Speaking of uh, what's coming up, uh, the Dubbo Day Awards are coming up. Now, the nominations are now open for this. Um, this has been an initiative that's been around for a little while now, so I'm assuming now, since it's been around for more than two years, it's actually a tradition here, <laughs> as we talked about earlier. Um, so... I suppose, first of all, Matt, when are the Dubbo Day Awards announced and how do people nominate for this? So the Dubbo Day Awards goes back to the celebration of when Dubbo was officially gazetted a village, right. which was the 23rd of November, 1849. Well, if that's the case, it's very much a tradition. It is very much a tradition, that's <laughs> right. two years, we're talking quite a few years. But the Dubbo Day Awards hasn't mm. got quite the same history. You can imagine when Dubbo was gazetted a village, they didn't say, now we're going to have awards yes. for all those people in Dubbo. For all those four people here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it started off with the sesquicentenary. 150. Yeah. There so it when is. Dubbo celebrated its 150th anniversary right? in 1999, yes. there was a concept where the leaders of the day said, let's have some awards, we'll call them Dubbo Day Awards, to celebrate the people that have done some great work mm. around Dubbo in that 150 years. And it was probably mm. more people that were recent times. And that went okay. Yep. And so then I'm not sure if it was the next year, there might have been a couple of year gap, but then it was decided, well, that all seemed pretty good, mm. very positive. Acknowledgement of people, maybe not to the same level of dedication as, say, a citizen of the year, mm. but we only have one citizen mm. of the year. Mm. But there are lots of people who do some great work in our community. So it's probably more the quiet achievers, more people plugging away that have been helping out in the yeah. school canteen and then volunteering with some other organisation. So is there a general category like just uh, if you feel as though that person's done a great job, well, let's nominate them, or do they have specific categories? Like in Australia Day, you have sports person and um, you know, the, the elder person achiever and Dubbo achiever and things like that. Is this, this going to be specific categories, or is it just sort of if you feel as though this person's doing a great job in whatever they're doing, you can nominate them? Correct. It's just it's a second. So okay. it's basically if you think someone's doing a great job, they're all the same. All Dubbo Day Awards are equal. There's one minor okay. exception which I'll talk about in a moment. Yep. But essentially, you nominate someone, we have a, a maximum number of awards, but it's not like we just have one or two. Mm. So it really is one of those things that there are people doing great things, doing quiet things, whatever it might be. Sometimes we actually say to the people who nominated someone for a Dubbo Day Award, they go, well, gee, maybe you should think about nominating them for an Australia Day Award yeah, as well. Yeah. And sometimes they do win Australia yep. Day Awards. I'm not necessarily on the back of that, but on the fact mm. that their nomination was so strong. Yeah. We do have one minor exception to the awards, which is called the Tony McGrain Award. Okay. One of the things that was noticed, and going back many years ago, the judging committee used to sit around the Dubbo Day Awards, was that these awards are for volunteers. Mm. Now, mm. the problem was that sometimes people would be nominated. And people would read through and they'd go, gee, they've done some great work, but they're paid for a job they do. So we can't give them a Dubbo Day Award because mm. Dubbo Day Awards are for volunteers. Mm. Gee, if only there was another award. Mm. Now, after Tony McGrain passed away, a few years after that, it was decided by the Dubbo Day Awards committee that they'd introduce one other special category and only right. one award is given in this, yep. and that's called the Tony McGrain Award, and that is for someone 
that's still doing all this great work that a Dubbo Day Award winner does, yep. but they're doing it as part of their paid employment. Oh, okay. So it doesn't yep. remove them completely. So sometimes you'll get a Dubbo Day Award nomination yep. and you'll say, look, this is a fantastic nomination, they're doing some great work, yeah. but they're being paid, so they can't win a Dubbo Day Award. But maybe they're doing a great mm. award. So yeah. that's still being a great contributor to the community. Correct, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's the people that go above and beyond. It's the people okay. that... that go and do things before their workplace starts mm. and they'll go and pick up some kids and help them out before they come into work mm. and then they'll do their job and part of their job might be helping out some kids in some other areas and mm. after work they'll go and do some other things. Mm. So all those things. So those nominations are open. They'll close at 5pm. So here's when it's 5pm on Friday. 5pm Friday, yeah. 20th of October, they'll right. close. And then we've got the ceremony now. This is an interesting part that we used to have the ceremonies in the morning it was found that people found it hard to get lots of people to come along and support them because they were working. working. That's yeah. right. So they changed the ceremonies to early evening, so maybe 6 o'clock from memory. That worked better? It did seem to work better. You got more people to come along to those, and so that was fantastic. We always, in the past, back when I was in council previously, and certainly since I've been back involved this time, we invite former councillors along to give out awards. That nice. practice stopped during the last term of council for whatever reason, not sure why, but yep. we've introduced that again. So it's nice to get some of those former councillors back because they've been a part of generating what we've got now in Dubbo. Yep. So that's nice. And they like coming along to an event as well. Oh, absolutely. So that's worked well. But this year, as it just so happens, the 23rd of November is a Thursday and that happens to be the fourth Thursday of the month. So we've got the council meeting day. Oh, someone didn't check their diary. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a minor case there. So for this year, we're going back to a morning event oh, okay. for the Dubbo Day Awards. Yeah, so that'll right. be a little bit different. And we normally do it across the theatre, but it was booked out. So we're doing it out at the Savannah Room at the Taronga Western Plains Zoo. Okay, yeah. yeah it's a special yeah. little year then this year. Well, a bit different, yeah. yeah. And again, that's okay to change even these traditional things. Change that's right, them around absolutely. A bit. <laughs> even if that's only been, what, what how many, 20 odd years now? Yeah, about 24. Or you know, yeah. there was a bit of a gap there, so 20-odd years. Yeah. yeah. And again, put those nominations in. If you know someone out there that's doing some great work in that's the it. community, put the nomination in. Yeah, there should be plenty of people out there should definitely fall into that category of being able to be nominated. They do, absolutely right. Now, Matt, September we've just talked about. Uh, and of course, here in Dubbo, September means Dream Festival. And... Um, Next Saturday night, we've got the big lantern parade, but uh, I suggest today, I think there's a big event out at the zoo too, isn't there? So what's happening this year with Dream? Lots of things, as mm. every time with Dream. So you're right, Zoocoustics, if you're listening to this on Sunday, 3rd of September, Zoocoustics at the Western Plains Zoo, Taronga Western Plains Zoo. So and what's Zoocoustics? Well, that? it's actually a great event mm. where you basically take your blanket out, you sit around on the grass and listen to some music. Sounds right to me. Yeah. You have a few drinks out there as well, can you? Are you allowed to have a couple? That's a very good question. I I would suggest probably not. Alcohol-wise, right. I suggest okay. not, but I don't know. Sorry. Well, you could have your Diet Coke. You could, you could have your Diet Coke, <laughs> that's right. You could, have, you could have your soft version of the drinks. But yeah. basically, live music, local musicians, and this year you've got Elle Flanagan, Cy Allen, Harriet Fay, and you've got the headline act as the Australian country music star, Andy Penko. Okay. Yeah, so good. you got a few there. But the one that people seem to remember, dream about, is mm. the Lantern Parade. Yes. And that's on at Victoria Park. So that'll be on the 9th of September, so this Saturday. Wow, so it's coming up fast. Yeah, that's right. You'll It'll all start about midday. You'll have yep. some market stalls, some various mm. performers, some nice food, mm. and a little area called Dreamland. That's Dreamland? A designated children's area with activities to get the kids busy. Oh, Not to drop one. the Is kids it? off and then go to the <laughs> pub. Just <laughs> that's to keep, right. keep the kids busy. We don't have the babies sitting down there for them. Yeah, that's right. And then 
as it gets towards dusk, mm. then you get people lining the parade route along Talbagar Street, and you've got the lanterns that people have made and the sculptures, etc. Yeah. And you'll have a bunch of uh, taiko drummers at the head, oh, cool. head of all that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's always a magic, uh, you know, displays, and when everyone's walking down there, uh, seeing the lanterns come up just on dusk and the, the night sort of sky settling in, it's a beautiful look and it's such a wonderful feel. That's right. As the and castle would say, the vibe is sensational. The vibe, that's right. The vibe <laughs> and a bit of excitement this year because last year it didn't go ahead because the weather. We oh, had of course, weather right. that yes. was bad. And and I think it was more the wind more than anything else. Mm. It was it was certainly rainy or wet at the time, mm. but I think it was actually the the concern around wind and mm. when you've got fire and lanterns and, and wind and spring, <laughs> then lots of things could go wrong. A lot of things go wrong. You know, I think uh, and looking through the uh, long range long range weather forecast, I think we're looking okay for next Saturday. Yeah, hopefully it is. And, yeah, and again, yeah. barring a pandemic, barring floods, barring any oh, sort of wind events, don't mock it. <laughs> Everything will go ahead absolutely, absolutely perfectly. So, again, a good event, and the, there's other things happening in September as well, but the Lantern Parade seems to be the main focus. Oh, yeah. Do yourself a favour and get down and check it out. Now, Matt, I read with uh, interest during the week um, in your Merrill Memo, uh, you talked about the the workplace hub that was meant to be going down there in Carrington Avenue. Now, I know we... we sp- Spent a fair bit of time talking about this on a, a podcast going back a while ago. Um, look, I'll, I'll let you talk about what was going to be the workplace hub, and I'll also let you talk about what the decisions currently being made here by the state government that seems to have said, right, we're going to kibosh the idea now, which is, I must admit, very disappointing. So what's happened? Well, it was a good thing back in May, and we mm. probably did talk about it at length, so people can go back and listen to that podcast and talk about the workplace hub. But in mm. very brief terms, it was going to be the... Carrington Office Building, the Carrington Avenue State Government Building there. It's the one next to the 2DU down there, Next to 2DU, exactly right, yep. So that building there was going to be basically knocked down and the excitement in May was because the Western Regional Planning Panel, not Council, Hmm. approved the designs. So there were designs that were put through, they had architects working on it. Mm. Oh, they looked fantastic too, I saw some It did, yeah, Yeah. it did, exactly right. And a a DA had to be uh, uh, submitted, as you do with any building, Mm. but because of the, a couple of reasons actually, but basically that didn't go to council and it went to the Western Regional Planning Panel. Mm. That came out of the panel in May and they said, all approved, ready to go. So you're going to have 6,700 square metres of floor space, five-storey building, 700 government employees in that building. And that would be a consolidation from 26 tenancies across Dubbo, all in the one modern A-grade, five-star, green-star building or rated building. And the idea would be that the accommodation standard for regional public servants would be consistent with Metro employees. Okay. The idea would be that you could be sitting in a government department in Sydney hmm. and go, well, you know what? I could be on a phone and a computer anywhere in the state. Yep. I could work in Dubbo at the workplace hub out there. Good for Dubbo's economy. Mm. Good for that employee. Less commute to work. A whole range of benefits there. And absolutely, the numbers that I've seen say that the rent you pay or the cost of per square metre floor space, office space in Sydney, Sydney Mm. CBD, so 52 Martin Place is where many government departments are located. The office space there, what you're paying per square metre is at least... 10 times more than you're paying in Dubbo. 10 times more? 10 times more. That's significant. So, all exciting. The announcement in May was the plans have been approved. Yep. And we've now got a tender process that will go out. 
we estimate $48.1 million we'd mm. spend on this building. Mm. And happy days, we'll start in the middle of the year, which is probably about now, mm. yep. and we'll be finished by the end of 2024. So what's not to like about that? Yeah. We even, when we were meeting with regional cities in New South Wales, with the group that Dubbo's involved with, with 15 councils mm. in, uh, in Sydney, well, not in Sydney, but we meet in Sydney regularly, we met with a couple of the ministers recently, and we said this workplace hub that's going on Dubbo is fantastic. Mm. One or two other of the regional cities in those the, the members there have got something similar in the pipeline, or maybe something similar that that's kind of already there, but not maybe that same size or scale. Yeah. yeah. But we were saying this is fantastic. Why don't you put those in every regional city? Because gee, that's a positive thing. So mm. as much as I want to see everything come to Dubbo, mm. I still think there's a good argument there to say put one of those in Bathurst and one of those in Tamworth and one yep. of those in Wagga and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. I think that's good for regional living yep. overall. And yep. again, I come back to the cost of having a staff member sitting in Sydney compared to a cost of yep. having that same staff member in a regional city. Yep. All fantastic. Loved it from regional cities. Loved it from Dubbo. In May, full steam ahead. Get to August only three months later, and the government made an announcement that they're not going ahead with that. Did they give any sort of reason or rationale apart from the fact that it's too expensive now? That was it. They said that cost of building had gone up, and so um, changes in market conditions and escalating building industry costs have prompted a rethink. Now, what they're doing instead of that is they're still going to spend $48.1 million, which seems like a lot for what they're going to do, and they're going to do a refurb of the current building and add some space on there. But instead of having 700 employees, then they're going to have more like 440 employees, which doesn't sound quite as attractive. I don't know how many in there at the moment. But then the 26 tenancies across Dubbo that they've got now won't go back to one, which is what Mm. would have happened. That was the plan. Sort of centralised, absolutely. That's right. So they'll probably have to keep some of those I don't know how many government employees they're planning on keeping in Dubbo, and I'll get to that in a moment, mm. but the idea of having 441 buildings instead of 700, then theoretically you need somewhere else for 260 people, mm. or maybe you don't. And this is That's, I was going to say, this is my concern, I think, a bit here, Matt, is that what's, what's the real agenda apart from simply, and I'll, I'll put it out here from my perspective, government suddenly turning around and saying, okay, we're going to cut this back, uh, it's too much money, and that's, that's an easy sort of smokescreen to fall behind, in my opinion, what I've seen in government over the years. Um, is, is there another agenda here? Are they looking at maybe closing certain departments? I don't know. I'm sure you probably don't know yourself, but I'm always a bit concerned when governments start uh, kiboshing ideas and thinking, okay, what's their big-term plan with this? Yeah, and even if the $48.1 million, even if the tenders came in and it was dearer than that, well, you've got a couple of options. You can go back to some of those tenders and say, well, we'll change the scope of that slightly. It looked a very nice flash building when I saw it before. Maybe they cut back some of that. Maybe they go back to their architects and they say, look, part of your job as an architect is to get the budget right. It seems to have come in a bit dearer. Absolutely. What can you do to save us? And I don't know, but let's say it came in at $60 And they said, right, that's too expensive. We can't do it. Go to your architects and say, are there some things you could do that could save $10 million? Or... Do we need to go to tender again mm. and really put the pressure on building companies to say, well, we know that building costs have gone up, yep. but we need this built cheaper. Well, Maybe they if, if added on goal, a bit. If, if their goal is still to have done that and to create a centralised area, let, let's just face it, you're not talking billions of dollars here. This, this is a small amount of money realistically compared to what their overall budget is across the board. And I'm just concerned the fact that this decision seems to be made pretty quickly uh, without any consultation with Dubbo or what they're planning in regards to what their future ideas are. 
and we're left now with a situation which is nowhere near what the original idea was. I'm just really concerned about the whole idea, where is this leading? Yeah, that's that's a concern of mine as well. And I've been involved in council before when we've had a project, we've put it out tender, we've got the tenders back, and none of those tenders mm. have been close enough to what our budget had been. And so we've then gone out, which is quite legal, and accepted no tenders. And we can go out and we can ask the CEO to negotiate with the cheapest tenderer. So we can say, okay, Billy Bloggs' company was the cheapest, so there's still a process that's being you know, gone through. Mm. Go back now and talk to Billy Bloggs' company and see if there's any way they could save some money and get it down closer to our budget. Now, if you change the project too much, then you really need to go back out to tender mm. again. So I've also been involved in council when we've done that again. Mm. We've gone back out to tender yep. when the price hasn't been enough. But it seemed to me... Very strange to go from May, full of excitement, yeah, yeah. full of what a great thing is, and announcing all of this, these plans and how good it would be for Dubbo and for regional cities, yeah. to only three months later go, oh, tenants came in, a bit too dear, so we'll scrap that project. Well, if it was that important to them, yeah. you know, that's the other thing is too, if this thing was that important to them, I can't believe the fact you, you suddenly make this decision in such a short space of time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And so the, the bigger concern for me is, is this an indication that, maybe having employees in regional areas isn't as important. Mm. Is this an indication they're going to cut back on regional people or regional living, regional projects, regional departments? And these aren't regional departments necessarily Mm. because in this building there are going to be employees from six different departments. Mm. Again, the logic is rather than sit at 52 Martin Place for whatever department you might work for, you could sit in Carrington Avenue and do the same job because you're in front of a computer and a telephone, which is what Mm. most of your work is Mm. for Mm. a lot of these people. That's right. So that's the concern for me. Or is an indication they're going to cut back overall government staff numbers? Yeah. yeah. Now, that's that's obviously a concern overall. I mean, so I've got some concerns at a regional or a double level, a regional level, and at a overall employee level. So who's the minister in charge of all this? So I've sent off two letters. Yep. Or one letter, it's all for our email these days, so one letter with, with people CC'd yep. on it. Yep. So the Honourable Stephen Camper, MP, is the Minister for Lands and Property, uh, plus a few other portfolios that he has underneath him. So mm. I've sent off the letter primarily to, to Steve Camper, the Minister there, and then I've also sent that CC to the Honourable Tara Moriarty, MLC, is the Minister for Regional New South Wales, and the Minister for West New South Wales. So she's got a couple of portfolios that are, relevant to us. She's also the Minister for Agriculture, but those two, regional New South Wales and West New South Wales, are the ones that I focused on and the reason I sent her that letter as well. And so for both of those, I've basically, it's the same letter, I've yeah. said, I'm a bit disappointed about this. I'd really like to see this explored further. Yeah. The challenge is, of course, this is the state government, Mark. Mm, mm. I don't get to tell the state government what to do. If, I, I, could, if, if you, I could tell the state government what to do, yes. I would say continue on yeah. with that building and, by the way, make it bigger and have more employees yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. But again, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, mm. this is a state government building. This is a decision by the state government. The best I can do is say, can you please go back to what you're going to do before? And they can make their decision based mm. on that. I'll wait with interest to see what the end result is from these letters. Yeah, that's right. And mm. I, I've certainly mentioned in my mayoral memo, but I think it's a bit rude to go and talk about ministers and government decisions without actually communicating directly with them. So even Absolutely. though I've written that for my mayoral memo during the week, I did say in that that I'd send off a letter to both Ministers Camper and Moriarty. Oh, well done. And so that's happened now, so we will await the response. Mm. Last Saturday, Matt, uh, you had the pleasure of catching up with uh, Marsha Hines. So... Uh, 
How's Marsha? Hey, good, good. She is an absolute legend oh, is in the Australian just? music industry. Of course, she just she came to Australia very young, maybe sixteen years of age. Mm. She came from Boston, so okay. yeah. So, and I, I did mention that too when I talked to her because my brother lives in Boston. He, oh, okay. He probably moved there about the same time she moved right, here, right. and so she came. She might have come to be in in Hair. I think might have been the first musical mm. she came to Australia to star mm. in, and went, "Wow, this is a great country. Mm-hmm. I'll stay here." But yeah, she we adopted her once, someone yeah. successful, and they've made a name for herself in Jesus Christ Superstar, of course, as well. Absolutely right. Yeah, you know? but a, a very lovely woman, and yes. it's great to see the talent that we have that comes through Dubbo. Mm. And there is no doubt about it. Some of the acts we get, we would not have without the tiered theatre that we have there. So that 2.5% rate rise for those two years, all those years ago, still paying dividends. Now, in fact, approximately a third of the people that go to our tiered theatre come from outside 2830 postcode. It's great. So it's actually a tourism attraction in its own right, which is interesting. So, and the reason I met Marsha, it's an interesting thing that happened Oh, some months ago now, maybe maybe eight or nine months mm. ago, where there was someone who was going to be at the theatre. I can't remember who it was, but a, a famous actor that was going to be at the theatre. And for some reason, it ended up being that I needed to go down and talk to them or meet them. And, mm. and so I went down and talked to them, and they were pretty excited to see the mayor of the city. And I thought that was interesting because they were a, a well-known actor, yeah. famous. It might have been Umbilical Brothers. I can't right. remember who it yeah. was. But they were pretty excited to see the mayor. And I spoke to the manager of the theatre after that, and I said, well, that was interesting. I thought it would be, yeah, mayor, who cares, ho-hum, and they're a, a, a well-known actor and lots of people would be wanting to meet them. Yeah. But I said it almost felt like the opposite. They they go to lots of regional centres. They go to mm. lots of big cities. Mm. They don't normally get the mayor of those various locations to go and say, hey, going, welcome to the city. Thanks yes, for coming along yes. and performing for our residents. So I said we should do a bit more of that. So I've done a bit more of that since then. Oh, fantastic. When I'm available, the, the yeah. manager will say we've got so-and-so coming up this Wednesday, yep. this Saturday, whatever it might be, uh, they're doing a dress rehearsal or a sound check at this time. Can you yep. come and say hello to them? So yep. normally go along, like I did with Marsha, chat to her for five minutes, and again, it's it's more or less that, welcome to our city, thank yes. you for coming along. Yes. And if it means that she remembers Dubbo a little bit more than other regional locations she goes to, next time they're booking her, oh, that's right, Dubbo, gee, that was nice. Yeah, I was so friendly there. Absolutely. Even the mayor came along yeah, and yeah. welcomed me to the city. And I bet you any money that the uh, next dinner table conversation will be around the fact that, oh, did you happen to know that when I was out in Dubbo recently, the mayor dropped in and had a bit of a chat. Yeah, so yeah. it's just a little thing, but great to see Marsha here. And again, it's great to see that talent continue to come through the theatre. And it's great mm. for our residents to be able to see international, mm. world-class talent right here, five-minute drive away. That's it. Well, mate, it's uh, that time of the the week when we get into your Limerick of the Week. So, what have we got? Well, this week, the Staff Awards was probably... Oh, it's very timely. I was going to do it on Marsha, but I thought that's a bit of an easy one. Hmm. So I thought the Staff Award, to really recognise the staff are doing some great work, to me, that was a highlight from hmm. this week. So, here we go. Dubbo Regional Council, in spirit quite keen, threw an awards event that had to be seen. With a laugh and a cheer... We made it quite clear. Our star for the best there had ever been. Ah, well done again, mate. Well done. And of course, a wonderful call out there to all the team down there at the Bay Regional Council. What a great job. Well done. All right, folks. That just about wraps up again for Straight From The Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, take care. Straight From The Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.